0: Trader's Point, how are we doing today? Are we doing okay? Awesome. Hey, it is so good to be here with you guys. If you haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Kyle. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And I just want to take a moment to, uh, to welcome everybody who is here at all, any of our campuses, uh, anybody who's tuning in online. Welcome to all of our guests that are joining us uh, today. We are so glad that you are, are here. Uh, but if you uh, aren't uh, a guest, if you call Traders Point home or if you've been around uh, for a while, then you probably have heard and seen that we're kind of entering into a, a new season, so to speak. Uh, we have a number of new things that are happening that are, that are very exciting, actually. I mean, we have uh, some new service times that are happening at some of our campuses. Uh, our 5 o'clock uh, p.m. service is here. We're excited about that. And, uh, yeah, we can celebrate the 5 o'clock. Let's do it. I'm excited for the opportunity that it's going to provide for people who cannot make it to to a morning service and a a way for people to gather to connect with others and connect with God uh, in the evenings on on Sunday. Um, Some of our ministries have some new things going on, kids ministry, youth, all of that. So it's it's great. Uh, Not just a new season, though, uh, for, for our church, but maybe you can relate personally. Maybe you're entering into a relatively new season as we come um, out of summer vacation in the breaks. Uh, school is starting back up. Maybe work rhythms are, are changing. And it's just a lot of newness right now. And uh, new hits us a little differently, I would say. Right. Maybe you're one of those people who you like new and new represents something innovative. Uh, maybe a fresh a fresh start. Uh, maybe you don't like new. <laughs> maybe new represents change and, and changes is, is hard because you have to adjust and, and you have to adapt. Regardless, new is something that is, is, is apparent and, and relative to, to all of us. Uh, I think all of us over the past year have experienced some sort of sort of new. There was a phrase that started to pop up more and more uh, over the past year and a half, and it was new normal. Anybody hear that phrase a lot over the past year and a half? Anybody sick of that phrase new normal? Can we be honest? Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. But new normal, it, it represents something that initially, is, is different, right? It's different until it isn't, until it becomes something that is widely accepted, widely experienced, something that, that is common, uh, something that is, is like, okay, this is the way things, things are now. Uh, life in the pandemic provided a sense of new normal for, for a lot of us. I was able to, to find a, a few memes that I think captured a little bit of our experiences um, over the past year. I wanna, wanna share them with you. This one, working from home. Any parents on the verge of doing this over the past year? You can be honest, we won't judge you here in church, okay? Uh, no, that's it. Uh, this next one, day one, quarantine will be fine. I can finally catch up on all my shows. Day 12, congratulations, you've completed Netflix. <laughs> or this one, my favorite. I'm on a Zoom call, do not walk out naked. Listen, I won't ask if you were the one writing the note or if you were the one that the note was for. It's two different, two different camps here. No, but 2020 provided a, a new normal, whether we like that phrase um, or not. But uh, the tendency is, is with a, a new normal, um, subtly there's, there's kind of like this desire to go back, right? To go back to the way things were before, back to, to how things were, uh, the status quo, if, if you will. And sometimes that can be good. I think we are seeing, uh, we're seeing that all uh, around us right now. Vacations are back at all time high. People are traveling because maybe their, their plans were ruined last year. And now they're like, man, we're, we're going everywhere. Um, restaurants are busy again, which is, which is awesome. Kids are going back to school in person. Can I get a hallelujah from, from parents? <laughs> Woo! No, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's this desire to go back to what was normal before. Life the way that, that it was. But the question I have is, is there an aspect of life where a new normal is actually a good thing, where, um, where God has designed us to actually experience something that doesn't require us to, to, to go backwards? And I think what we'll find is that the Bible is actually um, one unified story that points to a God who, who represents newness, who wants to do something new in his people. And he says, hey, I have this new way for you. This new way of living and on the onset, on the surface, it sounds good. The people respond and they're, they're, they're in. They're like, yeah, until new um, clashes with what's, what's comfortable, until it disrupts uh, maybe some personal preferences or, or distorts some, some habits that we're, that we're used to having. Um, and so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me uh, to Second Corinthians chapter 5. All right, if you're new to the Bible, um, uh, you have uh, the, the New Testament, which is where 2 Corinthians is. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, then you have Acts and Romans. And then you have 1 Corinthians uh, and 2 Corinthians. And what we'll find here is actually that Jesus offers this new uh, way uh, of life, this, this uniqueness about how we are to, to live life. And he says, hey, you are, you are to live differently. And it's, it's different initially, right, until it isn't. Until it becomes normal, until this is a way uh, for Jesus' followers to, to, to live that is still different to a world that is watching, a world that isn't following Jesus. But then it becomes normal to, to those uh, who are. And it's a, a new normal that for 2,000 years has been changing the world one person at a time. So we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible grade, if not, no worries. Everything will be on the screen uh, next to me. But we're going to start in verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. What I'll do is I'm going to read this verse in its entirety, and then what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll go back and we'll break it down. We'll read 11 through 17, all right? And this is, uh, this is what Paul says. He says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. And if it seems that we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. And since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who loved him and and gave himself for him, who died and was raised for them. And so we have stopped evaluating others from a, a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. And then he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Yeah, we can celebrate that. That is good. So to give just a little bit of context here, um, this is a letter. This is a letter that the apostle Paul, um, is writing to a church that he started in a city called Corinth. And Corinth um, was this this vibrant, cosmopolitan um, city in in Greece. And man, everything was there. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. If you wanted to find something in Corinth, you could could find it. I mean, you have greed and you have um, lust and you have um, corruption. There was actually this temple in, in Corinth. And it was a temple that was dedicated to the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Uh, Now, this isn't anything that is strange. I mean, a lot of these cities back then during Paul's time had these temples dedicated to Greek gods and Greek goddesses. But this temple, they weren't going there to worship. It was actually known for like prostitution. And So Corinth was like this this crazy, lustful city and all these things were were going on. And the crazy thing is, is that Paul actually goes to the city on a missionary journey and he preaches the gospel there to these people. And he starts this church in this city. And he not only just tells them about Jesus, but the the scriptures say that he stays there for about a year and a half, discipling them, showing them what life with Jesus actually looks like. And so a few years go by and Paul has has left. And now he's writing back to this church that is that is being influenced still by by the culture a little bit. We have two letters of his to the the church in, in Corinth, and these letters are a little bit different um, they're, they're different in, in tone and, and in tenor, um, but they're also different in, in function. As I said, the, the church was still being influenced by some of the cultural norms um, at the time of, of Corinth. It was, it was crazy. So the first letter is almost like um, a correctional. Uh, it's, it's almost as if you had showed up today on a Sunday and instead of, uh, of me being here uh, on the stage, we piped Aaron Brockett in via Zoom or FaceTime. And he just starts telling us everything that he, he, he hates about what we're doing while he's gone. Like you guys are messing all this up. Uh, at the top of the list would be the fact that you're letting Kyle Riley preach um, today. Um, no, it, that's kind of like what would happen. He's like, hey, man, I have I have this problem with what you are doing. Please stop doing stop doing this. Please do not do not do that. For the, for the love of God, please don't let them do that. There's actually a moment in 1 Corinthians where he, he rebukes the church because they have allowed someone within the church to start living in sin with their stepmother. Awkward, right? Like, the, you guys are allowing that to happen. Please get this under control. This isn't what I told you to do or how I showed you to live. But 2 Corinthians is a, is a little bit different in function and even in, in, in tenor. He takes a little bit of a different uh, approach here. Uh, parents, have you ever taken a, a different approach when you are uh, correcting or disciplining your children because the first one didn't work, so you got to go draw up a new play? Like, you got to, okay, huddle. Let's huddle together with, with your spouse, right? Uh, okay. That one didn't work. Um, let's try something. I know it was my idea. I know it was my idea. Yeah, okay, what else do we got? Oh, oh, I know, let's, let's go for the cell phone. Yeah, that always works. We'll, t- we'll take the cell phone. Too extreme? Okay, yeah, yeah, it's not. Um, what, do you, what do you got? All right, let, let's go with that one. All right, ready, break. All right, and you go, back, you go back in and try a different approach. It's kind of like what Paul is doing here. There's still some issues here within the church, but they're a little bit different. There were actually people uh, in the Corinthian church who actually started questioning the authority of Paul and some of his homies, the fellow disciples and apostles that helped start the Corinthian church. And Paul takes this different approach. He's like, all right, I'm not going to list off my credentials, I'm not going to self-validate myself on why I'm worthy of speaking to you in this way or helping you to know Jesus. No, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to include myself in the story. Did you notice how much like we language was, was in what we just read? Where he's saying, hey, this is what we have experienced. And what it is, is Paul saying, hey, I'm not just some I'm not just some coach who is yelling on the sidelines. You ever experienced like a player coach, right? Who's like, they never played the game a day in their life, but they seem to have all the answers. It's not what he's doing. He's like, no, no, I've actually experienced the love of God, the life transforming power of Jesus. And I want this life for you too. I'm in the game with you. We are in this together So that's why he starts kind of talking about this experience that we have had. And so I want us to kind of break this down a little bit. We're going to go back to verse 13 and break down verse 13, and we'll go one by one and see this life that Paul talks about, this new life. All right? So he says in verse 13, he says, If it seems that we are crazy, it's it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. And so evidently, um, Paul and his guys, they were so different that some of the people in Corinth, uh, the church, they, they saw them as like out of their minds. And what I wanted to, to look at is like this, this isn't new to, to Christianity. Uh, the church has always been trademarked by uh, something different. People in society have always looked at the church and said, "Hey, there's, there's something, something a little different about them. Maybe a little bit off, <laughs> but there's something different. There's two phrases that come to mind, actually, when I think about this. The first one is the word for actual the church. In the Greek, it's called ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia. Ekklesia was a way to describe um, like an assembly or a gathering uh, of people. But technically, it, it, it means the called out ones. Those who were called out of of society, of living a certain way. Now there's this new way, this new way of following after Jesus. That is what the bride is. The church is the the called out ones who assemble together. But they don't just assemble together to stay together. They go, uh, they assemble to to then go out and to influence others. Uh, The second phrase is actually the word Christian. Um, Today, in my opinion, the Christian has more of a a cultural meaning, but in its originality, uh, the term Christian was actually a derogatory term. I don't know if you knew that. And so we see it first, uh, the the followers of Jesus at a city called Antioch were first called Christians. And it was almost like an insult by the world because the word Christian means literally little Christs. So it was like the people were saying, hey, look at those little Christs over there. Can you believe it? Those those little versions of Jesus. It was like uh, mocking them. And so the next time you get in an argument with a, another believer and you want to cuss him out, just call him a Christian. All right. That'll, that'll work. It'll be insulting enough. No, but, but Paul says, Hey, if we are crazy, if it seems like we are different, there's a, there's a reason for it. There is a cause behind the craziness. It is to bring glory to God. And then he uses this as a foundation then to set up everything else that he says next. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, since we believe, that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. If you have a Bible, I want you to underline it or highlight uh, that first verse 15. And I want you to draw a line out into the margins and I want you to write the word purpose purpose. Because what Paul is saying is that a new normal with Jesus means that you have a a new purpose. He's saying that the reason that Jesus died wasn't just so that you can go to heaven when you die. Imagine that. It means that he died actually so you can have a new purpose, so that you can help earth look more like heaven. And this has everything to do with the question, why am I here? You would be amazed at how many people can't, can't answer that question. Uh, I sit down from time to time with people who are just seeking some direction in their, in their life, um, are looking to make some decisions or try uh, to, to really figure out what life is about. And this could be somebody who is a, a, a young adult who's just trying to figure out what life looks like. And this could be, I've had to be a, a, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company who is just up in arms now because they have found that they have been living according to, to what they do. And I'll ask them usually two questions um, that kind of help set a baseline for where we're going. The first question is I'll ask is, is, is who are you? Who are you? And I'm not talking about uh, what you do. I'm not talking about the role that you have in life. Uh, I'm talking about your identity, how you see yourself. And the second question that I usually ask um, is: is why are you here? What is your purpose? And you would be surprised at how many people can't answer that question. And the danger of that is when you can't answer that question, society answers it for you. Family and friends and media begin to influence you and fill in that, fill in that blank. And it's almost as if they have this, this set pathway for you to, to follow, right? Where it's like go to, go to a good school and get a good job and then you get married uh, and then you, you live this happy, comfortable, comfortable life right? You live your best life, and and it sounds good, and some of those elements are are good in and of themselves, but here's the thing that I have against that. Most of it is temporal. Most of it is is, is temporary, and it leaves us clinging uh, for more, wanting more, desiring more. We forget that our hearts were made for something so much deeper. It almost reminds me of what um, author Nancy Piercy talks about in her book, Total Truth. I want to share this with you. She says, No one can live without a sense of purpose and direction, a sense that his or her life has significance as part of a cosmic story. We may limp along for a while, extracting small installments of meaning from short term goals like earning a degree, landing a job, getting married, establishing a family. But at some point, these temporal things fail to fulfill the deep hunger for eternity in the human spirit. For we were made for God and every part of our personality is oriented toward relationship with him. Our hearts are restless, as Augustine says, until we find rest in him. And man, there's so much truth in that. No pun intended with the the name of the the, the book. But what Piercy and Paul are both saying and make very clear is that when you become a follower of Jesus, there is a new normal when it comes to purpose. Everything changes. You no longer live for yourself. You traded that in. You died to that. You have new marching orders because only what you do for Christ will count and only what you do for him will last. There's a, a question that I often even have to ask myself from time to time just to, to make sure that I'm, that I'm calibrated. And I just want to share it with you because I think some of us actually need to, to sit in in this question for a little bit. And I have to ask, are the things that I'm living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things that I'm living for worth Christ dying for? What are you living for? Some of us are, are living for the weekend. If we can just get to Friday, man, then I can enjoy life. Some of most are living for the things that life can actually bring us the, the material things. And we find ourselves continuing to be empty because they don't satisfy. What are you living for? I have to ask myself this question because if I'm not careful, I, I will drift. And I'll start seeing my purpose according to, to what I do or what I want or even what I deserve. And I have to remember that when I stand before Jesus, he's gonna say, hey, what did you, what did you do for me? What did you do for me? Why were, you, why were you here? And so all of us have to have this sense of, of understanding of hey, these things are good, you know, life with, with family and, and, and having a good career, like there's nothing bad inherently in and of themselves, but that is not why we are here. We are called to make a difference. Each and every one of us are here to know God and to make him him known. Each of us are here, are are called to to reflect Jesus everywhere that we go, to spend our entire lives telling and showing other people about Jesus. Now, what that doesn't mean is that all of us are called to full-time vocational ministry. So don't misconstrue what what I'm saying. Not all of us are called to be pastors or teachers or to even work within, within the church. God knows that. He doesn't call everybody into that. All of us though are called to use the gifts and talents that we do have to represent Him in the environments that we are in. Not everybody's called to be an overseas missionary, but everybody's called to be a missionary where you work, live, and play. And so don't go to work tomorrow putting in your two week notice because Pastor Kyle said that you work for Jesus now. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is how how is your purpose being lived out where you already are? We need followers of Jesus in the marketplace. We need followers of Jesus in corporations and in classrooms and in the media and in politics and in the arts. We need him there. And so when you are there, now your purpose is different than those who are around you who aren't following Jesus. Your purpose there is now to show people the hope and the help that can be found in Jesus. So that is your purpose. That's the first thing Paul says is, hey, as you follow Jesus, this new normal that you have is all about having a new purpose. And so let's continue reading. Let's look at verse 16, because what he says next is is awesome. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And then I love this. He says, how differently we know him now. So if you're taking notes, underline this verse, and then out to the margins, write perspective. He said you have a new purpose, and now you have a new perspective. A new normal means you now have a new perspective. The the technical term for this is called um, worldview, and it has everything to do with the lens in which you you see the world and the people in it. Because when you become a follower of Jesus, everything is now filtered through that lens. In other words, your perspective of God shapes your perspective of of life and, and others. Did you notice how Paul um, explained that he now has this this change of of perspective? He said that he stopped viewing others in a certain way, the same way that he stopped viewing Jesus in a certain way. He said, man, how differently do I know Jesus now? And for some of us, we need to have that experience. Maybe you thought of Jesus one way. Yeah, I agree that he he was a good person. He had good moral character. He was a good teacher. That's about it. Or maybe you've been looking at Jesus through the lens of, of your family and your parents are, are believers, um, but you're still figuring things out, which is, which is okay. But you cannot get to heaven on the faith of somebody else. There's, there's a, a, a phrase that I love and it says, um, God has no grandchildren. And I love that because it, it, you have to have this personal relationship for yourself. You have to see him for yourself and then it changes everything about you. Paul knew this because he experienced that firsthand. He saw Jesus one way. He actually hated him. He was persecuting the church and on the way to arrest some Christians, he encounters Jesus. And then the scripture says that scales fell from his eyes and everything changed, which was metaphorical for saying that he had a change of heart. And Paul goes from being a church persecutor to a church planter. And he says, man, how differently do I know Jesus now? And so my question for you now is, is how do you need to have a change of perspective? Now that you see maybe Jesus a little bit differently, how, how does he change your view on, on some things? What is your worldview like now that you've come to, to know Jesus? Maybe you need to have a change of perspective as, in, in the way that you see people. Where instead of uh, people being objects that you can use uh, to talk down on or to gossip about, you now see them, each and every person, as somebody who is made in the image of God. Somebody who has inherent dignity and inherent worth uh, if, if I'm honest, some of us not need to stop primarily seeing people according to the, their Enneagram number. <laughs> I'll have uh, nothing wrong with that, uh, the Enneagram. But I have people come up to me and they'll, they'll ask, hey, what, what number are you on the Enneagram? And I'm like, uh, I'll tell them. And then they'll be like, okay, I, I knew it. I knew it. Now, do you wing to this number or do you wing to that number? And I'm like, I don't, I don't like winging anything. I, I like to be prepared for everything that I, that I do. They'd be like, what's your, what's your Myers-Briggs? Are you E N T J A? And I'm like, I'm J E S U S. Like that's the only only thing that that really matters to me. Again, I, I, I don't have anything against self-awareness. I think um, that personality tests are important. Emotional intelligence, all that stuff are helpful tools. So if you're a life coach, please do not email me this week with your thesis on why, on why those things are important. Use them. They are tools to complement us viewing people in the image of God, but they should not replace them. Um, all right. So maybe you need to have a change of perspective in how you see circumstances where instead of immediately going to the negative in a scenario or to worry or or to fear, you need to ask yourself, how how could God be using this circumstance to draw me deeper in relationship with him? How could he be using this scenario that I'm in, whether it's good or even if it seems bad to, to to deepen my reliance upon him, to to release some of the control that I have in my life or that I want. Maybe you need to, to speak Romans 8, 28 over your life where Paul will go on to say, he'll say, he'll say God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, did Paul say that all things are good that work together? No, he said, God is orchestrating all things together for our good so that we can deepen our relationship with, with God. So maybe you need to have a change of perspective in, in, in circumstances. You ever met somebody who just, who just always sees the good in things, isn't that annoying? <laughs> no, where it's just like the world, could be, the world could be falling apart around them, it could be chaos but they have joy they have a sense of of peace. That, That should be the new normal as followers of Jesus. There's something attractive about that. Maybe you need to have a new perspective because you see Jesus differently in how you perceive relationships. Where instead of them being something that you use to fulfill your personal desires or to have your needs met, you use it as an opportunity to serve people and to love them unconditionally. Maybe it's finances. I don't know. Maybe where instead of money being something that you use to acquire more things that ultimately don't matter or to impress people who don't matter, you use it as an opportunity to be generous and to give and create opportunities for people. The list goes on, all right? There are so many things that we can have a change of perspective about because we see Jesus differently, because we have a new perspective of of him. One of the ones that I think um, are very prevalent right now for us as the church, as we encounter Jesus, continue to grow in relationship with him, is our perspective on how we represent him to a watching world. How we represent him in our speech and and even socially, even online. Because when you have this encounter with Jesus, you're now mindful about how you represent yourself and how you represent him to those who are watching around you. A number of years ago, I uh, I read this book called um, Twelve Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And if it sounds pretty convicting, it is. <laughs> uh, I about traded my iPhone in for a flip phone after reading it. And uh, the author, Tony Reinke, he's a believer, but he's a, a digital content creator by, by profession. So he spends his time writing blogs and creating videos and all these things. But he writes this book on how, we can, how you can use a lot of this stuff for, for good, whether it's, it's uh, speaking or it's uh, replying in a text or posting something online. I just want to share a few of these with you because they've helped me over, over the years. And maybe some of you can either take a picture of these or Write them down. He says, Before you text or post online, honestly ask yourself Will this ultimately glorify me or God? Will this stir or muffle healthy convictions for Christ? Will this merely document that I know something that others don't? Will this misrepresent me or is it authentic? Will this fortify unity or stir up unnecessary division? Will this build up or will it tear down? Will this heat guilt or relieve it? Will this fuel lust for sin or will it warn against it? Oh, and this one will get all of us. Will this potentially breed jealousy in others? I feel like that's the whole point of social media. (laughs) How can I make people jealous of my life? Uh, anybody wants to just curl up in a ball after <laughs> reading some of these, like, dang it, I was going to post a beach picture from vacation, but now I can't do it. <laughs> no, I think a lot of this is, is good. These, this has helped me from time to time, and I don't always get it right, but I have to kind of run it through this filter of like, what is my motive? How am I representing Jesus with what I say, what I send, or, or even what, what, I, what I post? because all of us have an opportunity to grow when it comes to changing our perspective and how we represent Jesus to someone who, who may not know him. So how do you need to have a a change of of perspective? And maybe as I went through the list a a couple of, of minutes ago, um, where I was saying maybe it's in relationships or in circumstances or money, like maybe that isn't really it. Maybe none of those really apply to you. Maybe the first thing that you need to have a change of perspective on is how you see yourself who this person is. And it's almost as if Paul knew this, that we would be wrestling with this after, after the Corinthians read this, because what he says in verse 17 is remarkably beautiful. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Listen to me clearly. This is all about becoming a a new person. Underline that verse and don't just highlight it. Maybe you put three exclamation points next to it. Paul says a new normal when it comes to following Jesus means that you have a new purpose. You have a new perspective, but you are a whole new person. And I think somebody here is, is, is wrestling with that truth. Somebody is having a hard time believing that. And you need to know clearly that the good news of Jesus is all about restoration that he restores what has been broken, he repairs what was severed, namely our relationship with God. He wrapped himself in flesh, came to earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, took the sin on the cross that we deserved. And now the righteousness that was deserved to him, he placed on us. And the unrighteousness that was deserved to us, he, he, it was put on him and he was put in a grave and he was raised three days later. And now he says, hey, you are a whole new person. That's why as we see people being baptized here at Trader's Point, their church says, made new. Some of us are wrestling with this because of our past, because either what we have done or what was done to us. And as we are trying to follow Jesus, maybe you are hearing the lies of the enemy reminding us of, of who we used to be, of what we used to do. Maybe those voices are coming from people who are around you, your family members, your, your, your friends who are, who, are, who are reminding you about your past. Can I tell you something? That if you are following Jesus, you have the ability to say, hey, I'm not that person anymore. That is who I used to be. That was the person that, that I used to be. That is what I, I used to do. I am now a new person in Jesus. He is changing everything about me. Can anybody celebrate the testimony of Jesus that he makes all things new? You are not just turning over a new leaf. You have begun an entirely new life. And the beautiful thing about that is that when you do that, when you start living in that reality, people notice. People see it. And they'll say, they'll say there's something different about that person. Yes, yes, they still got some things that they're working on. No, they're not perfect. Man, but there is something. There's something different about them. There's something attractive uh, about that. And they begin to ask, ask questions. They'll notice that you actually have been with, with Jesus. You want to know one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible? It's, it's not Jeremiah 29, 11, as great as that is, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you and give you a hope in the future. It's not John 3, 316. It's this little scripture that is tucked away in, in the book of Acts. And if you are by it too fast, you'll, you'll miss it. The context is that uh, Jesus has just died, and he's gone back to heaven, and he's given his spirit to his followers, his his disciples. He says, all right, I have this new mission for you, this new normal. I'm going to send my spirit to live within you, and you're going to preach with boldness. It's not going to even be your words that you're saying. They're going to be the words that the Holy Spirit has given you. And we see people like Peter who, who denied Jesus, Peter is standing up with boldness and he's preaching the lights out now. 3,000 people come to get saved and they're healing people left and right. Like it is wild. If you've never read the book of Acts, just take a moment to read it and see all the crazy things that begin to happen. Well, there's a moment in in, in Acts chapter four where Peter and John have healed this guy and, and the religious council is furious. They're like, what authority do you have to do what you did? And Peter stands up and scripture says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, salvation is found in nobody else. Jesus is the only way. And that's not even the scripture that 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 is my favorite. It is the response of the religious council. It's what they say in response to what Peter has just said, because they say in, 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 Acts chapter four, verse, verse 13, it says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see, that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And man, I found this verse when I was a relatively new follower of Jesus, but I felt this burning call in me to tell everybody about him. And I was trying to figure out what my purpose was. I'm like, man, God, do I go to, do I go to Bible college? Do I, do, I go to, do I go to seminary? And I saw God took 12 ordinary men, fishermen, and tax collectors, people who were at the bottom of the totem pole of society, and he turned the world upside down. He put his spirit in them, and it was clear they had been with Jesus. And we are here 2,000 years later because they were obedient to what he told them to do. And I heard God say, okay, okay, there are some people who are called in this moment to go and sit in the classroom and learn about Jesus. I inspired the scriptures. I can teach them to you. And so I would pour myself into the Bible and I would just read it and I would say, okay, God, this is what you did. This is what you said. All right, I'm gonna go and do the same. This is what the disciples did. And this is what they said. All right, I'm gonna go and do the same. And God began to just use me in some incredible ways. And I saw God can use each and every one of us because we don't need special training in the scriptures. Jesus died. So we have direct access to him. You don't need a priest to intercede for you anymore. But then there was that verse, that it says and it was clear that they had been with Jesus. That's what the members of the council notice. So now my question for you is that when people are around you or when they leave your presence, do they say it's clear that they have been with Jesus? Do they take notice that you have been with Jesus in your conversations, in your countenance? in your perspective, in your joy, in the way that you lead your family, your peers or your business or your company. Is it clear that you have been with Jesus? Not that you're living a perfect life, but you are striving to live a life that reflects the fact that you have been with Jesus. What if that is the new normal? What if the new normal is a life that reflects that we have been with Jesus? What if every time that we interact with people, they walk away recognizing that we've been with Jesus. What if we normalized loving those that society has pushed to the margins because we have been with Jesus? What if we forgave those that hurt us, not because we want to let them off the hook, but because we know that Jesus has forgiven us when we don't deserve it. And we recognize that because we have been with Jesus. What if we normalize not acting like our lives are all put together on social media, but instead confess that we are broken individuals desperately in need of God's redeeming love because we have been with Jesus. What if that is the new normal? What if a new normal has less to do with the way of life in a pandemic and more about a way of life in Jesus? What if that is the new normal because the world, is searching for the answers that we have. The world is watching and they're waiting on a church that doesn't just come into a building and sing a few songs and listen to a good message and then go and have brunch and go about their lives. They're waiting on a church that has marked by by new purpose and new perspective and our new people. The world is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. It's waiting for a new demonstration of Christianity. Trader's point, are we gonna be that demonstration? They're looking for a church that is evident that they have been with Jesus. I want to ask everybody, no matter where you are, all of our campuses, to go ahead and stand in. And we're getting ready to worship. But I want us to worship like we mean it. I want us to worship like it's clear that we've been with Jesus. That Jesus is with us. That he wants to do something new. I want us to worship like we believe that we are new people in Jesus, that the old has passed away and all things have become new. I want us to worship like we are marked by something different than society so that when society and culture looks at us, it's apparent that we have been with Jesus. We're authentic. We're not acting like we have it all together or that we have all the answers. We're just being clear that, hey, I'm following this person who is changing everything about me. I want us to see like we want God to do something new that we want his spirit to move, that we're tired of the cultural Christianity, the lukewarmness. We're ready to be on fire for him and to impact those that God has placed around us. And as we do that, I think that that will be attractive to a watching world where historically this church has has had a tendency to look like uh, this this social club that is only fit for certain groups of people. No, but the church is a, a, a hospital for everybody, for all broken people. We want you to come along with us in this ride and we want to walk with you. We want to tell you, hey, I'm not a coach that is screaming at you from the sidelines. I'm a player in the game. I have experienced and am experiencing the life-transforming power of Jesus, and I want the same for you. So let's pray together, and I want us to worship like we mean it. God, thank you. God, thank you for new life. God, thank you that we can come to you and experience a whole—not turn over a new leaf— but to begin a new life. We are new people in you. The old has passed away and, the, uh, and the all has been made new. God, I'm praying that if there is anybody who is watching or listening, who has not yet experienced the life transforming power, the new person that you wanna make them to be, God, that you would speak to their hearts right now, that you would fill them with your spirit and then that they would be bold enough to make themselves known, to tell us, hey, I want to begin following Jesus. I want this new life. And for those of us who are maybe uh, still hesitant about our purpose or our perspective, God, I pray that you bring freshness to that. I pray that we no longer sit on the sidelines and say, oh, that's for those people. Oh, that's for the pastor. Oh, that's for the person who works in the church. No, I've been called to full-time ministry as a missionary right where I am. God, show me what you want me to do. God, give me purpose. God, give me perspective. And God, we believe that you are going to do something new, God. Would your spirit move in this place, bring revival so that a city, a world who is watching will say, hey, we want that. We want that. We don't want, we don't believe that they're perfect, but we believe that they are people in progress as they follow Jesus. And God, as we do that, we will give you all the glory, honor, and praise. We ask all of this in your precious son, Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.